You are listening to a sermon from the First Baptist Church of Ewing, a Christ-centered church in Lewis County. Uh, If you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to the book of Luke. Uh, We'll be in Luke chapter 2 this morning uh, as we will be focusing on verses 8 through 20. uh, As Richard mentioned, going through your Advent series as we focus on the shepherds this morning. Uh, Luke chapter 2. Uh, verse 8 through 20. And before I read, though, I would like to just give a little bit of a context of what happens previously to these uh, verses. In uh, Luke chapter one, or 2, verse 1 through 7, you find that, um, that there is a census that is imposed upon the world by Caesar. Uh, and as a result, uh, everyone returns back to uh, where their families originated, meaning that Joseph and Mary now return back to Bethlehem. And the Bible tells us that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should deliver. Um, and so a lot of times when we think about the Christmas story, we, we think about uh, Mary and Joseph rushing to get to Bethlehem. But Luke tells us that it happened that while they were there, that meaning that while she was in Bethlehem, it came time for her to deliver. She wasn't rushing to get there. It wasn't the same night, right? So she'd been there a while, and she gave birth to Jesus Christ. And so uh, keep this in mind as we look at verses 8 through 20. So uh, look at verse 8 with me as I read from Luke this morning. Luke writes, And in the same region there were shepherds, Out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Would you pray with me as we consider God's word this morning? Our Father in heaven, what great news that we have to celebrate today as we prepare our hearts uh, for uh, remembering your first coming. Father, we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ who came to take away the sins of the world. And so, Father, we pray this morning that as we've read your word and as we continue to ponder what your word has said, Father, that you will work upon our hearts, that we, you fill us with great joy, that we leave out of here celebrating uh, that you've come, Father. And so, Father, we pray all these things in your precious name. Amen. 
So I always find it interesting that uh, that Luke uses only two or three words or two or three verses to describe the birth of Jesus. So you read this. If you go back and read verses one through seven, you'll find that Luke only uses two or three verses to describe his birth. There's not much detail given. Uh, Luke doesn't spend a whole lot of time on the actual birth of Jesus. Uh, he doesn't tell us that Jesus was born seven pounds and seven ounces, does he? Uh, those are the kind of details that we want to hear from somebody who had just had a baby. We want to know uh, those kinds of things. But Luke doesn't bother with that, does he? Uh, he primarily focuses on the people and the events that surround the birth of Christ. And I think by now we're all familiar with the famous nativity scene. Uh, many of us have a nativity set sitting in our house. Um, you, you know the scene. We have Joseph and Mary housed in a small cave or a barn, smiling down upon their newborn baby. And then you have the barnyard animals who gather around and they grow silent as the newborn baby sleeps gently through the night. Which, by the way, I think is the unspoken miracle of Christmas story, right? Um, that the baby sleeps through the night silently. Uh, and as the baby sleeps, we find visitors, or strangers, these shepherds dressed in robes, watching over the happy family. And just like that, the shepherds are immortalized in our Christmas cards uh, and, and nativity sets and Christmas plays. And this is unfortunate, not because I'm against nativity sets, but because we've reduced the Christmas story to cute, sentimental stories, right? That we just tell children once a year. And what that does is it robs us of deeper truths of Christ's birth. What it does is it distracts us from what these things imply and the themes that Luke is trying to tie in to the Christmas story, to the birth of Christ. And so despite only having 13 verses in chapter 2 dedicated to them, the shepherds play an important role in the announcing of the birth of the Son of God. And so you might be wondering... Who are these shepherds? Uh, what makes them so important? Well, you need a little bit of background information. That, uh, for the shepherds, there, there was fewer occupations more demanding or degrading than that of a shepherd. In terms of their daily and nightly chores, you can imagine shepherds are responsible for the grazing and watering of their flocks. Um, and as they would lead the, their sheep, their flocks, the shepherd had to constantly watch over them to protect their flocks from uh, others who might attempt to steal them from thieves and from animal predators. And so as they would guide their flocks to whether it was pastures or to uh, a place for them to drink, the shepherds had to constantly watch um, in the rocky hill country of the Judean uh, uh, fields. Uh, to watch the sh sheep from falling into ravines and, and, and getting caught in brushes. And so the shepherds were constantly watching over them. The shepherds would share their sheep at, at appropriate times, and they would even milk them at some points to create dairy products. But primarily they would have these, uh, they would keep these lambs for feasts uh, for their religious 
for their religious festivals, but they weren't used for daily a daily menu. They were only used for special occasions. So the life of the shepherd was a very hard one. And even in as you read in Luke chapter 2 and verse 8, that you find them living out in the fields. You find them living out among, among their flocks. And so it's not a job with regular hours by no means. They didn't come home every night uh, for dinner. They, they were with their flocks 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And at night they would keep guard sleeping in the sheep pen with the sheep. So as you can imagine, these shepherds spending all their time with their flocks, sleeping with them in their pen, they didn't exactly smell like grandma's Christmas cookies, right? They, these were not clean people. <laughs> they were dirty, humble, poor people, right? And another thing to know that shepherds were often stereotyped um, according to some ancient Jewish writings, uh, like the Talmud, uh, shepherds were, were regarded as dishonest and prone to violating Jewish laws. Uh, one Jewish sage that lived at the time of Christ um, wrote that they were to help, that shepherds were to be held as mean and inglorious. And so shepherds suffered somewhat of a bad reputation. Even in Genesis chapter 46, the Bible tells us that the Egyptians viewed the shepherds as an abomination. And so there was a little bit of a stereotype. Shepherds weren't highly valued, though the sheep were. And so you might be asking, why on earth, why would God use shepherds to announce the birth of Christ? Well, let me give you three reasons. Three reasons why God uses the shepherds. Well, first of all, God uses the shepherds simply to shame the proud. To shame the proud. To shame the religious leaders. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven that God uses the foolish things of this world, that what we consider to be the foolish things of this world, to confound the wise. And the announcement of Christ's birth is no different It's not made known to Caesar. It's not made known to King Herod. It's not made known in Jerusalem. And it's not made known to the Pharisees or the priests in the temple. No, it's made to shepherds in a field. Outside a small town of Bethlehem. And Ezekiel 34, and this is how we know this. In Ezekiel 34, God is angry with the religious leaders of Israel who he refers to as shepherds. And if you read Ezekiel 34, God says to the shepherds, you have lost my sheep. You've neglected my flock. My people are scattered. You've left them to the predators. You have neglected to feed them and to water them. You religious leaders have kept my people from good care. And so in Ezekiel 34, God is angry with them. He's angry with them. And so what the shepherds in Christ's story does, it foreshadows for us not only that God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, but he also, they also foreshadow the character of Christ's ministry. In Ezekiel 34, again, as you continue to read it, God says to the people, you, you've neglected my flock, but I will prepare a shepherd, he says. I will bring about a shepherd 
a servant of David, one who will bring my sheep in, one who will seek out my sheep, one who will prepare uh, a place for my people, one who will feed my people, who will water them, who will care for them as a shepherd. And so the shepherd's story in Christ's birth not only reflects God's condemnation of the religious leaders, that he's not going to reveal the birth of his son to them, but it, but it also ties in to Christ's ministry, that Jesus' life is characterized by, a, by caring for the outcast, by caring for the lowly, that Jesus seeks and saves the lost like a shepherd searches for a wandering lamb. So Jesus also seeks those who've gone astray. Isn't that how Jesus is described throughout the book of Luke? Think about the feeding of the 5,000. How is Jesus described there? He causes the people, the 5,000, to sit where? On green pastures so that he might feed them like a shepherd. And so the shepherds foreshadow the character of Christ's ministry, seeking the lost, caring for the people of God. Jesus came for them, not for the religious hypocrites, but for the least of these. And so we see that the shepherd's story imply that God does use the foolish things of this world. And it does care. And they show that Jesus's ministry is characterized by the caring of the outcast. And even in that, that challenges our ideas about the kingdom of God. It challenges our ideas about who might be included in the kingdom of God. As I mentioned before, shepherds were often stereotyped. So it's, it is interesting to see that, uh, that the shepherds who otherwise would have been excluded by religious leaders are now included by God. And, and it changes our ideas of what the kingdom of God includes and who is included in the kingdom of God. The, sh- the shepherd's story turns our expectations upside down. The fact, that we, the fact that we have to ask why God is using shepherds demonstrates that God really is working in unexpected ways. He really is flipping the narrative. He's turning our expectations upside down as he includes those who otherwise would have been excluded. And third, God uses the shepherds primarily, primarily, to build a connecting bridge from Jesus to the Old Testament passages of the shepherd and lamb. Think about this. When you read through the Old Testament, how often does God compare himself to a shepherd? Even the most famous of the passages, Psalm 23. What does David say? The Lord is my shepherd and I will lack nothing. Because of his care. God's, the shepherds build a bridge, a connecting bridge from Jesus to the Old Testament passages of the shepherd and lamb. God promises to provide a shepherd, as I mentioned in Ezekiel 34, that he would provide himself a people, uh, he would provide himself a lamb. And the Bible says, therefore, Thus saith the Lord God to them, Behold, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you push them aside and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad. I will rescue my flock 
They shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between the sheep and sheep, and I will set upon up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And so we read that, Jesus, that the shepherds thematically connect Jesus with the Old Testament, Old Testament passages. That the people were to expect a great shepherd, one who would come from the line of David. That they were to expect one who would search for the people of God who have been scattered, who will care for the lost and the outcast. They were expecting a shepherd. And Jesus is tied to that through the shepherd's involvement. More interestingly, though, in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, we're told that this promised shepherd would come from Bethlehem specifically. That he would come from Bethlehem. That God, that he would come from Bethlehem. And uh, continue on. God had also promised, not only, not only does it tie into, um, not only does it tie into the shepherd narrative, but it also ties into the lamb narrative. That God promised that he would also provide himself a lamb. In Genesis 22 verse 8, the Bible tells us that when Abraham goes to offer his only son Isaac, Isaac looked about, right? And what did he say? Where is the lamb? And Abraham responds that God himself will provide a lamb. He will provide himself a lamb. And you might be wondering how these things might be tying into Jesus. Well, Here's some things to note about the, the, the region. Notice that in uh, Luke chapter 2, uh, verse 8, that the Bible tells us that in the same region there were shepherds out in the field. This is important because the area around Bethlehem and Judea, or Jerusalem, excuse me, the area around Jerusalem and Bethlehem were the only areas that there could be flocks. And the Bible tells us that, and, or I'm sorry, not the Bible, but according to some sources, it was prohibited, for, uh, prohibited to keep flocks in the land of Israel because of the uh, negative effects on agriculture. So the only exception to the region was Jerusalem and Bethlehem. And here there was a place called the Migdal Eder, meaning the Tower of the Flock. And this is mentioned in Genesis 35, verse 21, and in Micah 4, verse 8. A place called the Tower of the Flock. And here, the historical sources tell us that these lambs that were raised at the Tower of the Flocks were considered holy. And they were the only ones to be used as temple sacrifices. So the lambs that these shepherds are watching are exclusive for temple use. The fields that surrounded the Tower of the Flock were perfect for the vast number of sheep that the Israel that Israel required it's estimated that 250,000 sheep were needed every year to accommodate the Passover sacrifices and feasts and so this tower of the flock right outside Bethlehem provided a perfect vantage point as the shepherds would stand in their tower and literally watch over their sheep by night quite literally and so as we read that these shepherds in this tower are watching over their sheep, these sheep that were used for temple sacrifice, suddenly there appear shepherds that night. And it wasn't just a declaration of good news 
to simple shepherds. It's a powerful prophetic sign to all of Israel. The promised shepherd, the promised lamb had come and he was born in Bethlehem that very night. And we read that the glory of God, the light of heaven is shining in all of its brilliance around them. And that the angels and their spectacular beauty brought with them good news. That the same shepherd, the same lamb, the same prophetic meaning has been born to them in Bethlehem. The use of the word good news here in in Luke chapter 2 contrasts Caesar's news. That Caesar uses earlier in the same chapter when Caesar makes an announcement and in ancient world, Caesar would refer to himself as the son of God, the savior, the bringer of peace, hope and good news. And so here the angels suddenly appear, not in Rome, not in Jerusalem, but to these shepherds in the outskirts of a small town. And they say, no, the real good news doesn't belong with Caesar's. The real good news belongs here. He's born in the city of David. Jesus, the savior, Christ has been born. And here the angels tell the shepherds that the true son of God, not Caesar, the true savior, the true bringer of peace and hope is the newborn Christ. This is the ultimate good news of the world. This is the ultimate good news. It's not contained in the decree of Caesar. But it's the divine proclamation of heaven that Jesus Christ has been born this night And so, having heard this good news, the shepherds say to one another, we must see, we have to see this thing. We have to investigate. And notice that the Bible says that they're on the outside of town. So now they go into Bethlehem. They go into the... Now we often think, when we think of the nativity scene, we often think that Jesus was born in some distant cave Outside of town, we think he's born in some kind of barn. But the, but the shepherds are the ones on the outside. They're the ones having to go into the city. And so the shepherds are searching the city. And how could you find a newborn in a city where people are coming for a census? How would I be able to distinguish between all the babies? How do I know which one is the one that the angel spoke of? What did the angel say? The angel said, and this will be a sign to you. That this newborn will be wrapped in swallowing cloths and he will be lying in a manger. If Jesus was born in a barn outside the city or in a cave outside the city, it wouldn't be hard to figure out which one he is. I don't know of too many babies that are born in caves outside of a city. But if he's born within the city, they need something to identify him. The fact that he was born... And laid in a manger tells me that he's born within the city. And so here the uh, shepherds are searching, looking, trying to find this newborn baby. And so as as they approach, another misconception with with the Christmas story is that uh, Jesus was born, like I said, in a a barn. But the word in here is the same word that that Luke uses uh, later on in chapter 22, verse 11. And in chapter 22, verse 11, Jesus tells his disciples to go find a guest room for for the Lord's Supper. When Jesus tells his disciples, when you go and find them, ask them if they have a guest room available And so here, Luke is telling us that there's no room in a guest room. There's no room um, in the family room. And so here Jesus is 
laying in a feeding trough that's housed in their living room. And so the shepherds search. There's dozens of newborns perhaps in the Bethlehem that night. But they look for the sign. And as they gazed upon the child, as they enter into the house, I often wonder if their spirits burned within them. Remember when Jesus walked on the Emmaus Road with the two disciples and they were discussing how Jesus had died, but they didn't realize that he was the stranger that was with them. And then Jesus began to explain to them how all the scriptures are fulfilled within him. And, and as Jesus leaves, they said, did not our hearts burn within us? Did not our spirits stir? Did not something speak and wake up within us? And I wonder if the shepherds, as they looked for Christ that night, as they gazed upon the child, I often wonder if their spirits burned within them and if the faintest whispers of their hearts echo what John the Baptist would later declare in the wilderness, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Did they recognize that the baby that laid before them was the permanent sacrifice that the sheep that they left behind was a mere shadow of the babe that lay before them. So as we consider the Christmas story, as we look at our nativity sets, let's remove the blindfolds of the American-made peaceful scene that decorates our houses. They serve as a good reminder, no doubt. But what we need to keep in mind is this child is given. This child is given to us. And his purpose is to seek and to save the last, primarily in his death and resurrection. He was born to die. And that these shepherds that so carefully watched their sheep, their flock at night, knew that those flocks were just, that were a representation of the Old Testament sacrificial system. They were constant reminders of their own sin. They were certainly constant reminders, emblems of death, shadows of what Jesus was to fulfill later on. So let us remove our blindfolds of a cute, sentimental story and remind ourselves of of these deeper truths that Jesus is our Passover lamb. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice. Jesus was born to die. But let's also celebrate the fact that he's also our great shepherd, one who comes to seek and to save the lost. And I find this the most thrilling aspect of of the Christmas story. Because just as a shepherd who shares the same environment, the same consequences of the environment with his flock. So Jesus spends his time with us. He becomes one of us. He becomes familiar to us taking on a physical form. He becomes knowable. Just like a shepherd who spends the night in the pen with his flock. So Jesus puts on flesh and he dwells among us, sharing our experiences, becoming approachable and knowable. This is what thrills me. And oftentimes when we think of the Christmas story, we think 
We think that the worst thing about it was that, that Jesus must have been born in a dirty barn and that was no place for him. No, it was not a place for him. But you know what's not a place for him? Being wrapped in flesh that the holy God would transcend or, or condescend and come down and dwell among us to walk the dirty streets with us. To relate with us in an experiential, knowable way that he can relate with us as a human. That's his, that is what I find unfathomable. That Jesus would ever dwell among us. That is such love. That a God who is holy and transcendent would ever dwell among us. No wonder when the angels say, well, no wonder when the angels praise and say that he is with you. The shepherds get excited. So, as we close this morning, I want to leave you with Three implications of the shepherd's story. Three implications. By examining how the shepherds respond. First, the shepherd's story calls us to rejoice in good news. This Christmas, we celebrate the birth of our Savior. The good news that he is the once and for all sacrifice. And by his death and resurrection, we are reconciled to God. That is good news to be celebrated this morning. That he has not cast us aside, but he seeks the lost. He seeks and saves. That's a story worth celebrating. The shepherd's story calls us to rejoice in that good news. Second, the shepherd's story teaches us, teaches us about gospel proclamation. What is it that the, how else do the shepherds respond? The shepherds respond not only by rejoicing, but they tell everybody in town. It was the talk of the town. The shepherds couldn't contain it. They had to tell everyone what they experienced. They had to tell everyone what they saw. And so as we consider the shepherd's story this morning, it calls us to rejoice. But it also calls us to proclaim the gospel, to tell people what we've experienced, that we saw what we've seen and heard. That Jesus is the fulfillment and he was born in Bethlehem. And finally, the shepherd's story calls us to radical transformation. And here's one aspect I had not considered until preparing for this. And that is, the shepherds could never return to the fields the same way. How do you go back? How do you return after that? Doesn't it call us to change and adhere to the truths that we'd heard and seen? How do the shepherds go back to the fields after that? What do they do? The shepherd's story calls for radical transformation. And so the gospel calls us to radical transformation. It calls us to gospel proclamation and to live a life that adheres to the truth of the gospel, that Jesus is the risen Christ, that he is the Lord, and that we submit to his ruling. That's what it calls us to. Because this Christmas season, you're going to hear all the different aspects about the Christmas story. But the fact of the matter is, you can't return to the fields the same way. And it, become, it comes to a point where you have to make a decision. How are you going to respond? How are you going to respond to the good news today? Are you going to rejoice Proclaim the gospel 
as the shepherds did. I hope that's what, I hope that's your decision this morning. Let me pray with you as we continue on in our worship this morning. Bow with me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are the good shepherd. Father, you are a good shepherd who cares for his people. And so, Father, we thank you when we celebrate that this year. We celebrate that this Christmas, that you are the good shepherd. But, Father, we also are reminded that you are also the Passover lamb. You are the atonement sacrifice. Father, you are the perfect sacrifice, the once and for all sacrifice. And so, Father, we pray this morning that as we consider these truths of the gospel, Father, we pray that they change our lives, that we celebrate the news. Father, that we proclaim the message and that we live radically transformed lives as a result of these truths. And so, Father, we pray that for this church this morning. We pray that the community hears it. We pray that the people around us will know it and hear it and see it, Father. And, Father, we celebrate you today. It's your name we pray. Amen.